From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we are looking back through technology history to better understand the trends that we see today. My name is Quinn Nelson, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How you doing, Stephen? I'm good, Quinn. How are you? I'm well. You know, this is a special episode, not just because we're talking about the world's best operating system, but because it is the last episode in this season of Flashback. That's right. Uh, This will be the last one before our summer break, and we will be back in the fall with season three. Too too bad, so sad. Well, the good thing is, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm going to suspect that you haven't heard every episode. If you have, you're a rock star. But if you haven't, we have an amazing back catalog. This isn't a new show. You can go back and listen to any episode you want whenever you want. They're all irrelevant from day one that they're made. <laughs> That's so, the point of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So if you, uh, if you haven't heard all the episodes, you've got some homework for this summer, and we'll see you back in the fall, but not before we talk about Microsoft Vista. We're going out on a high note. Mm-hmm. That's, well, one can say that, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so when when talking about Vista, you you really can't talk about the operating system without talking about its background and development. I think you'll see as we go through this, hmm. the end product, as flawed and tragic as it was, is really a direct result of its development. And you may think, well, Stephen, that's true of every product. I would argue that Vista is the most... Uh, the most obvious example of this, I think I've maybe come across in the tech industry. The development was such a mess, and you can just draw a straight line through that to what Vista ended up being. So a lot of this episode is about the development process, but I think that's important to understand. So Okay, so, so tell me about it. How to get started? So uh, we need to wind back the clock to the Windows XP era, so think 2001 or so. Mm. And the successor of XP was codenamed uh, Longhorn. That wasn't its first codename. We'll get to that in a second. But the idea was XP's out in 2001. We're going to follow up maybe the end of 2002 with the next consumer operating system. You know, for a while in the 90s, Microsoft was actually releasing operating systems on a fairly regular basis. XP to Vista was really the first big gap that they had, and we're going to talk about why that was. Uh, But initially, it was dubbed Blackcomb, and it was really set up to be a hugely ambitious release. So a little bit about XP. It was the first consumer version of Windows that wasn't based on DOS, it was based on the NT kernel, which had been its own separate line of versions of Windows for professionals for a while. XP sort of brought that together. And from this new unified platform, Microsoft was going to start adding uh, a lot of features to the consumer OS. So again, slated to be released in the second half of 02. Oh. And it was going to bring a new file system in the form of WinFS, And it was designed to bring relational database features to the file system. People were having more and more files. They wanted a better search. They wanted to understand the relationships between their files and directories. And WinFS was going to bring all of that with it. Okay, so that's a a big change. I mean, file system 
changes are, are massive amounts of work. I mean, yeah. you'll remember the the release of APFS, which was Apple's kind of improved uh, file system. That took a number of years, mm-hmm. and, and when it was released, that was kind of the flagship feature of the OS, even though to the end user, there was you know, very little difference. <laughs> like, what's a file system? I don't care about this. Yeah, Apple right. labored under HFS Plus for decades, and there were some false attempts at ZFS and other things. But yeah, file system changes are a big deal. So it was supposed to be in Blackcomb, but never made it out of beta. Oh. And WinFS was basically quietly killed in 2006. So it, oh, no. it, it didn't really ever happen. Something Bill Gates later called his biggest disappointment ever. Really? So ever. that's a statement. It was in 2013. It was before current Bill Gates uh, <laughs> disappointments. <laughs> We should ask him again and see how he uh, see how he still feels about yeah, that statement. I'll, I'll email him after okay. this. Uh, other features were to include a new user experience built atop the .NET framework, better mm-hmm. integration with web services. So you think about 2001, 2002, a bunch of web services are happening. They want to bring some of that into Windows. Uh, here's the thing. No known yeah. builds of Blackcomb exist outside of Microsoft. So a lot of these builds we're going to talk about leaked. Oh. This one didn't. There is a presentation about it floating around on YouTube, and we have a link in the show notes. But Blackcomb was was basically just dead on arrival. I watched that video. It's pretty fascinating. It's about 11 pixels, so it's a little bit hard to make stuff out. Yeah, it's it's chunky. The, the kind of design of the OS is is a little curious because... Obviously, that wasn't the flagship feature of Blackcomb, but they had this kind of idea that on the left side, there would be this pane that was fairly large. I mean, it's much larger than kind of the Windows task switcher or the macOS dock that we know today. And that was kind of like your, how should I say, like directory, mm-hmm. where you could kind of begin to perform tasks on the machine. And then on the right side, there would be a fairly substantial pane that kind of showed you the content that you had selected from the left. So you could enter a file browser, and then it would show you all of your content that met specific search queries. Like if this is a a media file or multimedia file that's in this directory that's been created around these days, show it to me. And then it would show you not just a combination of local files on your system, but it was also designed to kind of pull stuff in over the web too. Curious design looks looks weird now by retrospect, but um, it was a, a really big release. And well, as we kind of mentioned, that didn't really work out. Yeah, <laughs> the the timeline is kind of muddy depending on what you read. But at some point during two thousand one or 2002, or or maybe 2003, or, or who knows, it was clear that this release, it was just way too ambitious. And some of the features were kind of stripped out, and the project was refocused, and it was renamed to Longhorn. Okay, so you're wondering about these code names. And this is a piece of trivia that I actually knew, Stephen. Whistler, which was the code name for XP, and Blackcomb are two very large ski resorts in British Columbia, in Canada. And they're right next to each other. And they have two ways to connect to one another because they're on two mountains. Um, the most common way and the way that would have been done at the time was at the bottom. So you ski to the bottom on one resort and then you can kind of work your way over to the other resort and head up the lifts that way. 
And turns out there is a bar named Longhorn in between the two mountains ah. where Whistler's visitors would pass to reach Blackcomb and vice versa, which is kind of fun, isn't it? That's pretty but cool. Now, yeah, that place is still around. Um, it's called Longhorn Saloon, and I'm sure it's delicious. Uh, reviews actually weren't super great but you know that's that's neither here nor there now they have this very cool gondola system that goes just directly between the two mountains and it is the longest well it was i think it's been replaced by uh, another lift in austria but for years it was the longest uh, suspension suspended kind of chairlift uh, in the world and it's it's massive you look at these things and there's two posts and i think it's like almost half a mile that oh. you travel without any other contact with uh with you know any post you're just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet above this wide open valley very cool anyway there's your ski trivia for the day let's get back to windows <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we got that done yeah uh-huh. so in the fall of 2002 Internal build 3683 became the first version of Longhorn to leak to the public. It supported an updated user interface. All the wacky stuff in Blackcomb was gone. It basically just looked like a flatter, more modern version of Windows Mm. XP's uh, Fisher-Price My First UI. (laughs) It was more mature than XP. Uh, Included a new sidebar that was home to several gadgets, which were basically widgets that pulled in information from the system or from the web. They basically survived until the final release of Vista. If you ran Vista, you had those gadgets there. Mm -hmm. There was a background service for WinFS, but it basically didn't do anything except eat up all your RAM. So uh, it's an early build, but you can kind of see that already they're stripping back some of the more ambitious elements of Blackcomb. Well, yes and no, right? Because in early 2003, there was another build that leaked, build 4008, that could install the OS in one-third of the time that XP was installed, so that's a big improvement. But WinFS had a much bigger presence in this release. Um, It powered a new search interface that was complete with natural language queries, which is Awesome. And then Windows Explorer had been rebuilt as a .NET application and featured uh, kind of new options for viewing files in a directory, as well as viewing file metadata. So pretty big improvements. And over the next several months, Microsoft continued to compile several more builds. Um, They added features to the OS. uh, They added parental controls. uh, You were able to kind of preview larger files and smart folders inside of Explorer. And then there was an updated version of IE6 with a downloads manager. We don't think of that as very special. Every browser has, I mean, the iPad has a downloads manager in the browser, but that was a big deal back then. And, uh, well, there was an all-new version of Windows Movie Maker, a new speak synthesizer. The list went on and on and on. But here's the problem. It's 2004, and Longhorn has gone from, (laughs) ironically, a much slimmer release designed to get out the door quickly to kind of a bloated mess that ran poorly, even on the fastest hardware, which is not unlike Project Blackcomb that it had replaced. (laughs) And so you have a problem. Things are too ambitious. It's, It's slow on modern hardware. It's bloated. So Longhorn underwent a development reset, as they call them in the industry. They happen, I feel like, all the time with a lot of projects. And it basically started a months long process to sit down and to redefine what the scope of this new OS was really going to be, because they just kept going down this 
trail of let's keep adding stuff and let's keep adding right. stuff. And it got too complex. Yeah, the very mistake that had been made a couple of years prior, they're back in the same situation. So as, exactly. as part of this reset, Longhorn was moved to a new starting point. They took the code base of Windows Server 2003 and said, this is the basis of this OS. And then teams had to re-implement the features that have been blessed to end up in Longhorn. So some of the stuff mm. we just talked about didn't make it. Some of the others did. Uh, work started in earnest in the fall of 2004 on this. But uh, in 2005, Apple announced Mac OS X Tiger. By many reports, Tiger hit Microsoft's OS teams like a load of bricks. It featured a new tool named Spotlight that worked the way WinFS-powered search was supposed to work. The OS was more responsive and smaller than Longhorn, even after Longhorn's reset. Yikes. But they, they carried on, and Beta 1 came out in the summer of 2005, showing off an OS that was far more stable than previous builds had been. No, uh, no doubt that was because of the, the reset onto Windows Server 2003, which was uh, a much better code base than where they had been. Absolutely. With these kind of newer builds that had come from the reset, there was something included called the Aero Interface, which is an acronym, believe it or not, for authentic, energetic, reflective, and open. Oh. Aero. Those sound like words that are on the out, like you walk into some sort of fitness studio, and those <laughs> words are like engraved in the glass. But really, the fitness studio is a cult. Right, right. The only enemy is yourself, Stephen. It's true. Never give up on your dreams. Okay, I won't. So gone were the solid control elements of XP and previous versions of Windows, and they were replaced with a new translucent material meant to look like glass, frankly. And this let the color of the user's desktop shine through to almost every window and panel in the OS, turning from uh, kind of sharp pixels to blurry segments of color. And, of course, Mac users, and even Apple itself, uh, kind of poked fun <laughs> in the likeness that it had to OS X's Aqua. Yeah. So it's Microsoft, right? And I think their design is like super, generally super good, and then they never really fully flesh it out. That's kind of the Arrow vibe that I get. It's not as cohesive as Aqua was on macOS. Yeah. But I, I think it actually still looks pretty good today. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say that kind of modern operating systems, including iOS and macOS, look more like Arrow than they do like Aqua, frankly. Yeah, it reminds me of the translucent material Apple uses. So if you're on macOS, like the material the dock is made out of, or if you pull down the notification thing on iOS, it kind of blurs out the background. Yeah. That's the idea that Arrow brought, too. Like you said, it wasn't nearly as polished as Apple's implementation. Of course, now we have much more computing power to throw behind it. But sure. it, was a, it was an attempt to bring some vibrancy and some color throughout the OS. And you got to give them credit that that's where the industry ended up going. I mean, even to this day, I'm sitting in front of a, a machine running Big Sur and, you know, my dock and my menu bar bring out the color of the wallpaper behind it. And that that was the idea here. 
Sure. Now, make no mistake. I mean, you go back and look at Arrow today, and it looks pretty bad <laughs> because they hadn't really figured out the balance of usability and design. And so there are some windows where they are so translucent that they're almost, frankly, transparent. They look horrible, and it's hard to see text and content and all that stuff. But Arrow itself kind of refined over the years, and it really pushed Microsoft into the Metro design, which, again, not to give Microsoft design credit, but that was one of the first platforms that I remember being distinctly flat. Yeah. And it's still the design style that pretty much everyone else in the industry followed years later. Mm-hmm. Arrow was a big deal. It wasn't because it was just a, a visual skin. But it, it was a big deal because it flexed not only the the graphical capabilities of the OS, but it was the first version of Windows that was distinctly different. Like it, it yeah. looked visually much better than previous versions of Windows, especially XP, which Stephen already mocked earlier. <laughs> That's right. And, and like the early days of OS X, if you were on the Mac around this time, the translucency that was in early versions of OS X, now it's different than what we're talking about with Arrow and vibrancy on the Mac now, but it needed a lot of hardware behind it. You needed a lot of computational yeah. power to figure out what color should I show behind this window, etc. And uh, that meant that these betas, as long as Arrow was enabled, they could really be a dog on, on almost mm-hmm. any hardware. It really did slow things down. 2005 comes around, right? Longhorn is transitioned into a legitimate operating system, and the name of that operating system is Windows Vista. And it is originally unveiled on the 22nd of July, 2005. And, well, here's what Microsoft's lead project manager, uh, Greg Sullivan, said about the name Vista. Here we go. We live in a world of more information, more ways to communicate, and more things to do. You want the PC to adapt to you and help cut through the clutter to focus on what's important to you. That's what Windows Vista is all about, bringing clarity to your world so you can focus on what matters to you. I love the voice you do for executives at tech companies. (laughs) good it's always the same voice for all of them Mm. but i like it you haven't heard my johnny i voice but he's gone so you'll never hear it yeah yeah he's he's uh promoted to this guy (laughs) that's right so as we alluded to earlier under the hood vista was also pretty different from xp it just wasn't this new visual style right there was an all-new audio stack all-new printing architecture that led to some Real issues with drivers for many printers. A lot of vendors just <laughs> never updated their drivers for Vista. And so your printer that you had just didn't work after you updated your PC. That left a lot of people unhappy. Yeah, I can imagine. Woof. Okay, well, what else did it bring? Surely more than that. Uh, likewise, many software titles proved to be incompatible with the new system. This was Uh-oh. this was real bad for businesses who had built custom applications for previous versions of Windows that they could still run on XP. Uh, And even after Microsoft released updated tools for developers to more easily migrate their code bases to Vista, many just didn't ever bother to do so. Yikes. Well, look, not everything was bad, Stephen, okay? On the security front, Windows Vista included Defender, which, you know, 
in Windows 10, it's so good that, frankly, you don't need an antivirus. wasn't quite as good back then, but it, it was good, and it had a new backup and restore center, which made it easier to keep your files and applications backed up. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the user account controller, or UAC, and when you think of Windows Vista, this is probably what comes to mind. Under the hood, UAC was part of a broader system that was kind of designed to limit what applications could do in the system. But the unfortunate side effect was that kind of many, many pop-ups would arrive asking users to confirm their intent to allow an application to interact with their computer. And some users just wouldn't notice the pop-ups and would be confused about why their application had stopped running. And Apple went to town on this. There was this famous kind of Mac, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercial, where with every exchange between the two, there was this kind of Windows Defender that would say, Mac is trying to say this. Do you permit or do you not permit it? And he'd say, allow. You know, it kind of became a a talking point of of Vista and frankly was one that uh, was a little too heavy-handed. You might be thinking, Windows still does this, and they do. When you open a new application that wants to run as root or uh, when it wants to perform special actions, there's there's typically, by default, a full-screen dialogue that comes up. It blurs out your entire screen and says... This app wants to do this thing. Is that permitted? And so it's not gone from Windows, but it is significantly reduced. Where with Vista, it was almost everything would be kind of, you know, prompted. If if I don't say so myself, I think Mac OS is is guilty of this now too. I mean, especially with with the last couple of versions of Mac OS. Oh yeah, it's very confusing and it's very convoluted. Where so many permissions are requested. And, and unfortunately, unlike the iPhone, where every app says, hey, there's a system-wide kind of dialogue that says this app wants to do this. Is this permitted? You install an app on macOS and you've got to manually go into the privacy settings. And then sometimes your app is there. Sometimes it's not. You've got to add it. By, oh, it's just a mess. And frankly, in some ways, it's worse than Vista. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, Apple really needs good, to. But uh, it's yeah. frustrating. Apple really needs to re-architect that part of macOS. It's it's a nightmare. The idea is good here, right? So the way this worked yeah, under the hood right. is that even when you were logged in as an administrator, the applications you ran didn't have administrative privileges. And the hope was to limit damage done by nefarious developers. It's just the right. execution especially in Vista, because I think it was new and people noticed it more. And in later versions of Windows, they tweaked the UI around it to make it more clear what was happening. Right. Vista just Vista was the bad cop in this, right? On, on the Mac side, it was macOS Catalina that really added a lot of these new permissions on the Mac. And so Vista kind of got uh, stuck with the job of introducing this new system to Windows users. Vista also brought a suite of new applications. So the old Alec Express was replaced with Windows Mail, Calendar, and Contacts. New version of IE was included, as well as programs for managing digital photo libraries, making DVDs, sending and receiving faxes, and more. It really had a lot of new user-facing features that were welcome. Well, this sounds like a lot, kind of. Yeah. And, and frankly, it's kind of because it is. 
I mean, even after the reset, many inside and outside of Microsoft complained that the Vista code base was too large and too complex. It did come in at over 50 million lines of code, which is pretty insane. They had over 2,000 engineers working on it. And as you may suspect, this made it just way too easy for bugs to make their way in. For example, in October 2006, build 5824 was meant to be the final version, but it included this little tiny bug that would wipe any system that upgraded from XP. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> so that's not great. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and the perhaps, uh, what should I say, the buggy nature of Windows Vista would ultimately be its downfall. So I think we should probably talk about its release and its reception, shouldn't we? It finally made it out into the world in November 2006 to OEM partners and to retail consumers in January 2007, the month the iPhone was introduced, just to put this in some context. Right, right. There were six editions of Vista. How many? Six. Yikes. (laughs) So there's three for home and three for professional. Uh, Quinn, what could home users expect? Okay, well, it kind of depends on the market you're in. Uh, there was on the lowest end, there was Windows Vista Starter, and this was really intended for emerging markets in developing countries. So it didn't ever see a release in North America, the EU, Australia, and others. But Vista Starter came with a number of significant limitations. Um, it disallowed the concurrent operation of more than three programs, which <laughs> woof. <laughs> That's a pretty big limitation. Although Mm -hmm. you do have to consider the hardware that this is running on is also likely to be lower end. So that's one pretty big limitation. There was no network file or printer sharing, which was also not ideal. It didn't support Windows Media Player streaming or sharing. Multimedia features were extremely limited. And then if that wasn't added, you know, if that wasn't enough, the added insult to injury is that there was a permanent watermark in the bottom right of the screen that said Windows Vista Starter. A constant reminder that you didn't have (laughs) the the full version of Vista. And then they also had a one gigabyte RAM limit and a 120 gigabyte storage limit. So pretty huge downsides. But again, Windows Vista Starter was really intended for new and emerging markets on low-end hardware. Basically, any computer that you would buy in the U.S. on the low end shipped with Windows Home Basic. Now, what did that offer, Stephen? Uh, well, it was uh, definitely better than Starter. Uh, mm. we, we can say that. Um, it did not include a number of the multimedia features or something else. You know, Microsoft likes stripping those out of lower OSs, I guess. So no Windows DVD Maker, right? no Windows Media Center, which in XP was like a separate deal in the Vista. They brought it into the OS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for $199, you got chess, Titans, Inkball, uh, a bunch of those games. No, you didn't get those. Those games were gone too. Should have paid no. more. You don't get the games? I'm sorry. I guess you get Minesweeper. You get Solitaire. <laughs> the only hardware limitation was eight gigabytes of RAM. But the real kicker is that it did not include the new cool arrow design so vista starter and vista home basic you were stuck with a more uh, basic user interface again designed for lower end pcs and so uh, you probably wouldn't have have enjoyed running arrow anyways 
Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute because that gets even more complicated than arrow and no arrow. <laughs> it's it's great. And then if you were bad and bougie, you're on the high end of things, you had the Lamborghini of PCs, you could afford Windows Vista Home Premium, which uh, originally launched at $239. So it was, it was frankly only 40 bucks more than the original kind of home basic variant. Um, but it included all the bells and whistles with DVD burning, premium games, you had enhanced networking, so you could uh, connect to multi-samba shares at once, uh, touchscreen gestures. There was the snipping tool. <laughs> Weird that a screenshot utility is is kind of you know restricted to one version of Windows, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And then um, you had backup and restore schedules as well, which was a was a nice big improvement from not really having that. And it also supported up to 16 gigs of RAM, which back in 2007 was a lot of memory. So that was really only in the highest end of systems that you would see that. But uh, yeah, those are the versions of Windows. Pretty much Home Basic and Home Premium are, are what you would have to choose from here in the US. But here's the thing. Vista was kind of noted by many as too expensive and it was pricey, you know, $200 and $240 though the prices did lower over time. But I don't really know why the sticker shock was so bad because it wasn't that much more expensive than Windows XP. I think only $10 more per edition. And then given that it had come out several years later uh, with inflation, it might have actually been less at time of purchase overall. But you know, if you already ran Windows XP, you could upgrade to Windows Vista Home Basic for just $99.95. So that's pretty good, 100 bucks. And you could upgrade to Home Premium for 159 And this is in an era, for example, where Apple's still charging $129 to upgrade OS versions. We kind of forget about that. Um, but it wasn't until Snow Leopard that Apple dropped the price of upgrades to 29 bucks, And then, you know, they just made it free altogether. But all operating systems were expensive. <laughs> and given that this had been the first major version of Windows in Wow, many years, uh, way longer than any other version of Microsoft Windows or, frankly, Mac OS. To me, I don't think it seems like such an extraordinary ask, personally. Then you get into the professional versions. And, uh, well, those are kind of boring. Stephen, tell us about them. Uh, you've got Vista Business, Vista Enterprise, and Vista Ultimate. But there are two special limited edition versions of Windows Vista Ultimate. Oh, boy. There's Windows Vista Ultimate Signature Edition. Mm. It was limited to 25,000 copies and featured a production number alongside, yes, the signature of Bill Gates on the front of the packaging. Oh, man. Frame that and put it in. <laughs> Why would anyone want that? I, I, okay. I don't know. Uh, then there's also Windows Vista Product Red which part of the Product Red program uh, fights AIDS and other catastrophic diseases around the globe. This was originally distributed on Product Red branded Dell PCs, but was later released as a standalone deal at retail. It included additional desktop theme and wallpapers and other content related to the Product Red project. So that one's pretty cool. Way cooler than the that signature is, edition. That one is. Well, I would like to extend my apology to Sir William Gates because here's the thing. I have a Tesla charger in my garage that has Elon Musk's signature on it. Now, I must disclose that I did not purchase that. That wasn't something I desired. It came for free as a result of an affiliate program. And, and frankly, if I, I could paint over it, I would. But uh, people have their fans. Bill has his fans. 
so, you know, if you wanted to, to have a signature mass-produced onto a box and then framed and placed on your wall, you go, guy or girl. I, I found a copy of it on eBay for $225. Mm, so what you're saying is is it's been a great investment. That's that's not much less than retail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is uh, edition uh, 051-119. It's got Bill Gates' signature right below it. That one. Right, right. That edition. Okay. I really wanted uh, 5118, but I'll go with 9 if I have to. Mm. Well, you know, you can't have every version, Stephen. I know. <sighs> okay, so I've got my Windows PC sitting in my living room. It's running XP. Time to upgrade, right? Yeah, just uh, pop down to Office Max and buy Vista. No, yeah, no, not so fast. You see, this was a weird period of time because there were systems running XP that, well, granted, XP mostly ran x86 binaries, but there were also versions of XP that ran on older 386 systems. And Vista continued to support almost every machine that XP supported because XP's distribution was so broad and they wanted people to get onto Vista. So you could upgrade to Vista with both a 386 machine and an x86 machine, but your performance and experience was going to be massively varied because you had such old hardware and then you had such new hardware. Older hardware, uh, well, see, so here's the thing. You know how I talked earlier about how there were different visual styles? <laughs> There's actually three, <laughs> despite only having two versions of Arrow or not Arrow. Older hardware would run a visual style dubbed Windows Vista Basic, which didn't feature the Arrow style's transparency or translucency, but didn't even support window animation or Windows Flip 3D. And it looks really old. <laughs> even the button placement is the same as classic Windows. And so it's just a very strange look because it looks like Vista. It has the darker window color, but everything else kind of looks like not even Windows XP. It frankly looks like Windows 98. So kind of weird. If you had decentish hardware or if you had Windows Home Basic, you could run Windows Vista Standard, which also lacked animations and the arrows glass effects, but had the newer Vista style button placement, had the search fields and appearance that you were kind of used to. And then once again, if you were bad and bougie, you could run the full Arrow UI, assuming that you had Windows Home Premium. So that already is very confusing, but that's not, that's just visual. Uh, you know, you still have, can the specifications of my machine run Vista at all? And if so, how well? So it was confusing enough that Microsoft actually made a tool called the Windows Vista Upgrade Advisor. Ah. And it would run on Windows XP and Windows 2000 systems to determine which version of Windows their machine was capable of running. Now, sadly, it was mostly a web-based tool, and so it doesn't work anymore. But that, in theory, was a good idea to help people to know if they should upgrade. But making upgrades so difficult in the first place probably wasn't a great idea. I get the idea behind it. I guess I want to give people the opportunity to say, oh, I need to upgrade my PC before I do this. Maybe? Well, sure, sure. Or say, XP's great. I'll stay here. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. Uh, people initially pr probably didn't want to stay on XP because the kind of initial launch and coverage of it was really pretty good. Um, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so it had uh, a really nice DirectX update, and it looked promising for gamers on the PC. And mm -hmm. the work that Microsoft had done 
you know, bringing it onto Windows Server 2003 and modernizing the code base, that did look promising. It, it looked promising in the sense that Windows was now on solid ground for future expansion. In fact, Peter Bright over at Ars Technica wrote, Vista is not simply XP with a new skin. Core parts of the OS have been radically overhauled, and virtually every area has seen significant refinement. In terms of the magnitude and extent of these changes, get this, Vista represents the biggest leap that the NT platform has ever seen. Wow. Never before have significant subsystems been gutted and replaced in the way they are in Vista. Again, the, the idea is... We've gotten rid of legacy stuff. We're on this new platform. We have a, a clear idea for what's coming in the future. Uh, Vista even won the Best of CES award in 2007. Mm. But the honeymoon period was short-lived. Yeah, you could say that again. Uh, we will get to that uh, after I tell you about our friends over at Material, another show from Relay FM. Host Andy Inako and Florence Ion are veteran technology journalists with plenty to say about what's going on. Uh, Material covers, covers Google and the Google ecosystem. Their mission is to crawl the entirety of humanity's online and sometimes offline presence so it can capture and organize information. And uh, each week, Material covers the fresh developments in Google services, software, and research. They cover the headlines that remind us of the founder's famous mandate, Don't Be Evil, that is now part of the company's history and not always the company's culture. <laughs> it's a fantastic show. You can go check it out at relay.fm slash material or search for material wherever you get your podcasts. It looked so good. It looked so promising. Yeah, well, it did. But then you'll remember the kind of continual issues and complicated development cycle. And then you might think, oh, it's kind of no surprise that Vista had issues right out of the gate. Yeah. <laughs> We've touched on a few of them already. But other than the poor design of the UAC system, performance is the other huge complaint that most people had with Vista. In, in reviews, some journalists noted that on the same machines, Vista ran even slower than XP did. Not great when you're upgrading to a new system. You don't think of a new OS as being slower. But uh, it wasn't just visually slower. Even in applications that relied heavily on OpenGL and graphics frameworks seemed much more laggy. But CPU-bound applications, they were also slower. Vista was just a slower OS than XP, which is not good. The stranglehold Vista had on GPUs wasn't just in applications. Arrow itself was extremely reliant on graphics cards, and it often greatly impacted battery life of notebook users. So in the end, even if you had Windows Home Premium, a lot of people just ended, off, ended up turning Arrow off altogether because it was too much of a resource hog. And that was kind of... You know, that was kind of Vista's visual selling point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, not great. Mm -mm. Yeah, when you have to turn off, like, the most user-facing feature to make it run better, yeah, you made a bad turn somewhere. Yeah. Whoops-a-daisies. Uh, other people noticed that large file operations were much slower than XP. So, saving big files, opening big files, copying big directories were just just so slow. Microsoft ended up shipping a standalone patch to address this, and that patch was eventually rolled into Service Pack 1. Yeah, but here's the, here's the problem with this. It, it was kind of a too little, too late type scenario. Once word had gotten around, 
consumers just avoided upgrading to Vista. It even got to the point with you know new PCs having Vista pre-installed um, moved to moved back to Windows XP, <laughs> and so a lot of OEMs had these new computers and they were shipping with Vista. No one wanted them because Vista was bad. And so they just took Vista off and and put XP back on. And you could request an upgrade to Vista from most OEMs if you requested it, but it really hit Microsoft where it hurt. Yeah. And Microsoft kind of eventually let users on low to mid-range machines downgrade from Vista back to XP for free on their own volition um, after a single support call to acquire a new product key. Whenever your new users are downgrading to an old OS, you know things are bad. And frankly, part of the problem was OEMs, right? Oh, yeah. So some machines came with Vista-capable labels on them. But these Mm -hmm. machines were basically at the minimum system requirements, sometimes even below the minimum system requirements. If you bought one of those, you know, a cheap PC or a cheap notebook, and it came with Vista on it, uh, the the experience was so bad, it it really this is what drove people to go back to XP, and so Vista has this problem where yes it has issues, but OEMs are putting it on machines that really shouldn't be running it, and other vendors aren't updating drivers for it. Your software may not run for it, and so you have this multifaceted situation around Vista that really hurts its reputation. Part of this is on Microsoft. Part of it's on its partners. Uh, Part of it is on the way that Vista just acted differently than XP. So one way that Vista was different, it was designed to keep as much in memory as possible, to keep things running as smoothly as possible. So you didn't have to page out to disk unnecessarily. But uh, people didn't understand that. So you go in and you see how much RAM is being used and you say, oh my gosh, Vista is eating all my memory. And so it's like, that's what it's supposed to do. People didn't understand it. So it's like another strike against its reputation. Yeah, really too bad. Ultimately, Vista, it would receive two service packs, one in early 2008 and the second in May 2009. The first pretty much fell on its face a little bit (laughs) because it caused a number of PCs to reboot endlessly, forcing Microsoft to delay its rollout. Yeah, they're really good at that. Messing up existing installations <laughs> by the time it rolled out to consumers a month later um, service pack one's focus on performance was clear if not immediately satisfying to everyone uh, service pack one also brought the ability to change the default desktop search program which opened the door for the google desktop search which we we've talked about in mm-hmm. the uh, dead google products episode which was that last last episode it was recently i don't know Time is a circle. Yeah, so go back in your podcast app and listen to that one. Yeah, episode 18. There you go. It also had updates to DirectX. Uh, It had support for 802.11n wireless networking and much improved file sharing. So Service Pack 1 probably should have been just Windows. Yeah. (laughs) The initial release. And uh, yeah, Service Pack 2 made even more improvements, uh, mostly to audio and video playback, as well as networking. Uh, It added support for eSATA drives and more. And then in in 2009, there was a final update called the Platform Update that brought new APIs from Windows 7 back to Vista to 
help correct some of the issues going from XP to Vista. The idea here was that by bringing these APIs back, developers could work on better compatibility between the two systems. Yeah. And uh, official support ended in the spring of 2017 after a handful of critical fixes had been sent out, you know, major deal breakers for anyone running Vista. But if you look at historical data, Vista never really achieved great market share. Most people mm-hmm. ran XP and then bought a new computer when Windows 7 came out. And, and that really kind of brings us to the legacy of Windows Vista. Vista is kind of a masterclass in how not to release an operating system. <laughs> it went from, I mean, you look at XP, which was its highest installed, most beloved OS. Something, I mean, you replaced it by something that was, by most measures, much better. But due to poor messaging, uh, compromises on minimum system requirements, and rushed launch, uh, Windows Vista was just tarnished in the eyes of consumers, even if it did quickly become much better than XP. And Microsoft kind of found proof of this by publishing an advertising campaign called the Mojave Experiment. Actually, they called it the Mojave Experiment. Um, They respected the Spanish language. Mojave. Apple executives didn't so much do that. I'll stop talking. Tell me about the Mojave experiment, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when this when this happened because they, they made a bunch of ads out of it. So Windows did a number of focus groups and asked people their opinion of Vista. Mm-hmm. Most people responded they hated it, had heard bad things, and gave it a zero on a scale of zero to ten. Oh, that's not so good. And then Microsoft showed them the new Windows. How do you say it? Mojave. Do it with some like flair. Oh, do you want me to say it the way it should be said? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Mojave. <laughs> Which was really just Vista with Service Pack 1. People said it was fast and pretty and had nice features, and they gave it a 10. Oh. Uh, and then it was revealed to them they'd actually used an updated Vista. Oh, that's cute. And everyone was like, oh, wow, I I had no idea. I'm going to go buy Vista right now. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, they were ads at the end of the day, but it yeah. was kind of funny that the whole campaign is like, hey, we've been so bad at marketing this OS that it's actually not as bad as you think. Check it out. (laughs) And uh, it it probably added insult to injury is the fact that Apple had a heyday with Vista running a number of Mac versus PC ads, mocking Vista shortcomings, its bugs, its system requirements, security features, etc. And the campaign probably sold more people on staying with Windows XP than it ever sold on people switching to a Mac. (laughs) But it was effective. Apple ran these ads everywhere. And it just put in the minds of the people that Vista was bad. What happens after that, I guess? Windows 7? Windows 7. Yeah, so it it really... 7 benefited from Vista's bad reputation. 7 really has a cult-like following. Mm-hmm. Many people have stayed on it well into the Windows 10 era. Yeah. But yeah, 7 really was beloved, but it built on Vista. And a lot of the features people didn't like in Vista stayed in Windows 7. Maybe they were better mm-hmm. polished and better executed. But, you know, Vista's complicated to talk about. It definitely wasn't perfect. You could even argue that it wasn't good. But so many of its problems aren't the technology itself. And that's what makes it so interesting to me. You know, one thing we didn't even touch on, but I just I just thought about was, you think about the time frame this is, 2006, 7, 8, that is sort of the rise of a lot of social media stuff. And I think that it is had yeah. Vista taken place in a different time, maybe its reputation would have survived a little bit better. Now, Windows ME might argue otherwise, but... 
<laughs> it was kind of the perfect storm for Vista, and in hindsight, it probably never stood much of a chance. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing early internet memes and jokes about Vista. Yeah. This was before meme culture had even developed. Mm-hmm. Now look at it. It's a cesspool. It's true. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, that wraps up episode 20. It does. We've done 20 of these. Wow. It's awesome. If you want to read more about Windows Vista, we have a whole lot of links over on our website at relay.fm slash flashback slash 20. There you can get in touch via email. You can also find us online. Quinn, where can people find you in meme culture? Oh, in meme culture? <laughs> uh, I'm absent. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, all the all the cool social networks. Uh, not TikTok. I don't believe in TikTok, but all the other ones. So, so the old people's social networks. You can find me there at SnazzyQ, or you can find me on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Snazzy. That's S-N-A-Z-Z-Y. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH. I make a bunch of other shows here on Relay FM, including Connected and Mac Power Users. So good. They're great. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back in the fall. So uh, stay subscribed, and we will talk to you soon. Okay, bye, Stephen. I love you. I'll see you, I'll see you in a few months. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>